Welcome to the Hub Crawl, a roundtable podcast discussing all things Disney. I'm Eric. And I'm Tag. Each episode, we invite two guests to bring a question and talk about one of our favorite things, Disney. This week, we want to welcome Brett to the show. Brett is the host of the Notably Disney podcast. Greetings, everyone. Glad to be here. Also joining us this week is the Disney Sounds Guy and host of the A Window to the Magic podcast, Paul. Welcome, Paul. The guy with absolutely no ego, and he describes himself in big inflammatory words. It's, uh, it's great to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, well, thank you guys for both being on. For those of you who are not familiar with their work, they're both audio people for Disney. Like, they, they cover all of the different audio stuff that deals with Disney. So, learn some really cool, interesting perspectives on things that we cover normally on the show. So, thank you all for joining us. Let's start off with our first question from Eric. All right. So we have begun the Disney 100 event in Disneyland. That got me thinking, what's, what was your favorite Disney celebration event? And why was it the Cake Castle on the Walt Disney World 25th anniversary? <laughs> it doesn't have to be. But you could pick whatever you want. Go for it. Sure. Well, there have been so many Disney celebrations, some of them more magical than others, but I'm going to go with the one that was the supposedly the happiest homecoming on earth, which was Disneyland's 50th anniversary. Uh, I think this just arrived at a really exciting time for the company. It was right around the time of Eisner's exit and Iger was just ready to step in. And we got a lot of just celebratory experiences. We had Julie Andrews as the ambassador, so to speak, for the anniversary. There was that amazing commercial that showed all the Disney characters traveling across the world to come to Disneyland, including, I remember, Donald Duck in Herbie the Love Bug, just trying to get there, among others. But what we got out of it were a lot of great experiences, including the Parade of Dreams, which was just a really spectacular parade, obviously, and the Nighttime Spectacular with the fireworks that commemorated all the different lands of Disneyland with some great audio. So I'm sure we can talk about that. Yes. I really particularly enjoyed all of those. Do you remember those photo murals that had like people's family pictures and then it, it would be a photo mosaic. So it would be like Buzz Lightyear on in Tomorrowland or the golden vehicles around the park. So you would sit in the golden teacup. It was just a, a really nice tribute to the park that started it all. And by virtue of that, each of the other resorts received a special attraction. So Walt Disney World, we saw the debut of Soren and much more. So it was a I think it was just a beautiful celebration. I'm not sure how much more I should share, but I want to hear all of your thoughts if, <laughs> if you have any memories of that uh, time. Well, I mean, you got to it first. I also agree that the 50th anniversary of Disneyland was probably the favorite Disney celebration that I've experienced. I thought everything about it was great. Everything about it. I thought that it was fun and whimsical that you had to find 50 gold Mickeys around the resort. In fact, every time I go to Mr. Toad, I look up and see him with the with the spyglass. And I remember that that was a Mickey and the Mark Twain between the smokestacks. There was a Mickey and just just all of these Mickeys around, I thought was just really fun. The fact that they had the mosaics, I had almost forgotten about the mosaics until you said something. They had one of Walt in the opera house that was really, really spectacular. The golden attraction vehicles from each of the attractions that were there on opening day specifically was super cool. The 
I'm trying to think like all the other, they just did so many things they painted. So like storybook land, they painted the, the lighthouse gold. And I had forgotten all about that until we were interviewing the author of uh, seen unseen Disneyland. And he had a picture from the 50th and I was like, they did paint that gold, didn't they? But I will tell you, you know who deserves a ton of credit for that is Matt We Met, who is the Disneyland president, because he came in about a year before this happened. And for those of you not familiar with this time in Disneyland history, it had a couple people running the park that uh, kind of let it go, to say the least. And in the one year leading up to the 50th anniversary, Matt We Met and his team had the entire park repainted came out with all these wonderful things. And I'm a huge fireworks fan. The fireworks show, specifically the e-tickets in the sky segment in the middle, just mwah. like, <laughs> I honestly, I, I've seen videos. I haven't seen it in person. The, the Wondrous Journeys fireworks show that just premiered with the Disney 100. And I do think that that is probably the best show I've seen, at least through a video so far. The best fireworks show they've done since the Remember dreams come true, fireworks spectacular. And I don't think they'll ever beat it. There's just, and I don't think they could only because there was a lot of things that made it really neat that they couldn't get away with anymore and was really difficult at the time. Like they closed off a lot of the hub kind of area because they had fireworks that would shoot off all around the hub. And of course you had the fireworks fallout, just like we still have fantasy land that closes. So kind of complicated. So I don't know if we'll ever get something like that. Anybody who saw the show in the last few years, they ran it. It was kind of a shadow of what it used to be. They took out a lot of the fireworks and did some different things with it. But love that fireworks show. Uh, what about you, Paul? I'm sure you have a good take on this. Absolutely. And and I should say that the 50th anniversary is my favorite celebration because it was the the, the rededication of Disneyland was the very first episode of Window to the Magic. Oh, so the, that day, July 17th, 2005, we recorded that celebration that you were talking about with the governor and Eisner and Iger and Julie and, uh, you know, everybody there. That was our very first episode. And that was the, the beginning of Window to the Magic. And so I should naturally say that that is, is my favorite one, but the 60th anniversary was actually my favorite. And that was the one, unfortunately, that started all of the overcrowding that has been going on because they debuted a parade called Paint the Night. And that parade just blew everybody out of the water. And it was just so wonderful that attendance just grew beyond, you know, to where now we have reservations. And so I... I just I love the electrical parade and paint the night was just a natural progression of that. And it just it really sunk it for me that there's. Yeah. I mean, remember dreams come true. It was our very first DVD that we released. And, you know, we had it in, in surround sound and the whole shot like that. I mean, people loved that fireworks show. But paint the night. Mm, chef's kiss. Beautiful. And yeah, I would I would have to say the 60th. How about, how about you, Eric? Well, it's another episode where I've got a bunch of Disneyland people here. <laughs> and <laughs> I wish I could say I'd, I remembered the 50th, but I, I hadn't I'd even been to Disneyland by that point. I did experience the 60th, and that was that was pretty great. And I even, Teg knows, I, I'm not a huge Nighttime Spectacular fan, but I did see Paint the Night, and it was, it was pretty spectacular. I mean, uh, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. 
But uh, since I'm a Walt Disney World fan, I'm going to stick with the 25th anniversary. This is a controversial topic. They changed Cinderella Castle into a giant cake, Ooh. complete with <laughs> with pink, <laughs> just painted pink and all of these inflatable candies on it. It it's, wasn't it wasn't pink. It was Pepto-Bismol pink. Oh, yeah. It, it was. Yeah. The whole thing. Very odd. You could see it swaying in the breeze. All of these inflatable candies. I don't know why. It's probably because I hadn't been there in a long time and I was 16 years old or maybe 17. I can't remember at what point we went to it. But this was at a time where, sure, we kind of had the Internet. But I didn't know anything about this. I walked in and went, what the heck happened to that castle? And being a somewhat cynical 16-year-old, I thought it was great that they just did something so completely ludicrous. So it really stuck with me. But the Remember the Magic Parade had excellent music. I really like I listen to that today. I have a very distinct memory of going to Mickey's Toontown Fair with some of my friends and my my friend Vince went up and and hugged Goofy and said I've wanted to meet you my whole life and you know it was it was a really great time and uh, yeah so it it kind of stuck with me and even though some people got very upset especially those who maybe um, had a wedding and you know the <laughs> the pavilion highlighted the the pink castle in the background and that might not have been what they they paid for <laughs> I, I still really like it you know. Um, I got to say something about the Pink Castle quick, Eric. One of the reasons that I hear all the time is that why Walt Disney World doesn't get any holiday overlays is because <laughs> people sometimes save up their whole lives to do this like one Disney World vacation and they want to see the Haunted Mansion. They don't want to see Haunted Mansion Holiday or whatever. Right, right. Yeah. And the fact I, I kind of go, what about the castle that was the cake. I mean, they really went for it. And someday I should really do a deep dive and understand more about about <laughs> that. But uh, but yeah, you know, it. I've heard that same argument too, Tag. But I mean, Eisner put a, a, what is that? The wheel of death with the motorcycles in the middle of the hub? I mean, <laughs> at Disneyland. That's pretty. I guess, yeah. It's pretty out there, isn't it? Yeah, the state fair things that used to happen at Disneyland and uh, and and such when they would bring and put a uh, a carousel right where the the partner statue is right now and things like that those were always questionable <laughs> you're like why why are we doing this why why are there people walking on tight ropes across main street <laughs> usa you know it's that well you sometimes... forget about the olympic size lap pool that they built down the middle of main street right yeah. absolutely this is all wild <laughs> they wouldn't do that today, that's for sure. It's Project Stardust or whatever <laughs> just takes up too much space on Main Street. Oh, yeah. You can't get around that. All right. I think that'll do it for the first question, huh? Um, Brett, what is your question for this week? So my question relates to an integral part of any attraction. And not all attractions have them, but some of the most special attractions have them. And they are pre-shows. They get you ready and excited for what is in store. So my question for everybody is, what Disney attraction boasts the most entertaining pre-show? And I'll turn it over to Take. So I have to ask a question before we start answering, because we had the same question when I was on an episode of The Supreme Resort, which is Eric's other podcast. What do you consider a pre-show? Oh, do we really need to define it? Yes, I think that's a great question. I think in the way I view it is whatever you consider to be immediately preceding the primary experience. So whether it be the main show, 
the the ride, something that is prior to boarding or entering the primary space or venue. So however okay. you want to interpret that. Perfect. Yeah, because there was a lot of going back and forth on on the haunted mansion. What where does the show start? Does the right, is, is the stretching room the ride or is it the queue, you know? So but uh I'm not choosing Haunted Mansion, so well, that's neither here nor there. <laughs> um I guess I would say for an attraction that's still there, I would probably say Smuggler's Run. You get this great Hondo Anaka animatronic, that room when you're waiting, and the the Falcon flying from outside where you just saw it to over your head and landing in front of you so you can go get into it. Like that was kind of clever because it's like, well, I just saw it outside. How could I be getting into it this way? And the the rumble of that whole room, chewy, the sights, the sounds, and it kind of has it all. It's You also have that whole section before you get into the cockpit of hanging out in this iconic place. So it's really, really interesting and cool and like unique and something a lot of like Star Wars fans have wanted. I will say a runner up has to be Tower of Terror, specifically the DCA version, because that's the one I went on a bunch of times. And I loved the lobby feel of that. I loved the Twilight Zone room with all of the stuff there. I just that was also really great. But I've taken up two, so I will pass it on to Paul. Uh, and maybe he'll choose two. Who knows? Well, now I'm only going to go with one, and I'm going to date myself by choosing it. Uh, now, he he did not say that it has to be something that is still there. Mm, and true. so I, I went with my favorite pre-show of all time that begins, Adam Mobile's Approaching Snowflake Specimen, <laughs> The Adventure Through Inner Space, Monsanto's trip into the microscopic world of a snowflake where you walk into this room and you wind down a little walkway. And as you're walking, you are terrified by the sight <laughs> of a huge microscope actually taking writers and shrinking them to the size of an atom right before your eyes. As you hear techno babble going on in the in the you know overhead with Paul Freeze and all of that other stuff and just it set the theme for this otherwise rather bland experience because it was just a bunch of stationary sets and things like that you were going through but you really your imagination got set on fire when you walked in that room and sat down in that atom mobile and went through that flashing opening and you're like, Oh, here it comes. And then <laughs> your adventure begins. And, uh, and so I, I would have to go with, uh, with the adventure through inner space. Now, Paul, I got a quick question. I never rode that. Mm -hmm. And a common thing that comes up with this and things like the people mover and stuff for people who didn't write it is, sure. was it actually as good as people make it out to be? Or is it kind of like a blurry memory that it's like the nostalgia is more interesting for it? Because some people go, well, the reason the people mover is not at Disneyland anymore is because not that many people wrote it. But there's all these people who want it back. And it's like, well, they closed it because it didn't have the ridership. Um, right. Is that a situation with Adventure Through Interspace? Yeah, to be to be fair, probably um, it's it's also one of those things where do you remember? Well, you, you might not because you look young, but do you remember when plastic was a big deal? You know, polyester, people got excited. They were like, oh, all of the the outfits in Tomorrowland are made of polyester, you know. 
it was a simpler time back then. <laughs> so <laughs> standards the were different. Right. Well, and, and people didn't have all of the technology that we have nowadays to, to expose them to all of this. So when, when you come in and you're going through these sets and you're seeing that you're inside a snowflake, you know, it, it, it could be scary. And the uh, the people mover is also one of my uh, one of my favorites. The the music from that I search far and wide to collect. Um, I just came across the Capitol Records source recordings oh. for those things, and I just oh, it's so so much fun. But yeah, it's today's guest probably would not enjoy the adventure through inner space. But in the interest of self-promotion, I pushed a, a DVD that we no longer sell in the previous question. And I'll put one here. The very first thing Window to the Magic ever did was work with Steve Wesson, who was Atommobiles.com. And he created the very first 3D recreation of virtual ride-through of the adventure through inner space. I remember that. That was amazing. And a, a very quick aside, that actually, you know, tapping myself on the back here, he was doing that, but he was delayed. And we were like, dude, where is this? Please make more, make more. And he was like, I'm busy. I don't have time, that sort of thing. And so I downloaded his video. I took the original source audio from the Adventure Through Inner Space, and I separated it out, and I created a 5.1 mix of the pre-show area and I burned a CD or a DVD for him, sent it to him in the mail and it, it played the pre-show that he had created so far with the 3d audio. And then at the end, it just came up on the screen that said, complete it and I'll give you the rest. (laughs) (laughs) And that's how we have that virtual ride through. So those, those old attractions just priceless. Wow. So, Eric, what are you uh, what are you thinking about this question? Well, I'm thinking I'm going to change my answer. If we're going to go with past past places, um, <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to plug my other show here where we did a whole two part March Madness bracket on pre shows last year that Tag joined us for, and Tag helped make the final selection. I adjudicated you. Would, that's right. But what was what was the final winner? Tag. I think it was the Haunted Mansion, wasn't it? It was Haunted Mansion, yeah. We did have plenty of debate as to whether there was a significant cue afterward and all those sorts of things. We also deliberately left out Rise of the Resistance because we didn't want to get into that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was that was a lot of fun. I'm going to switch things up here because I was going to stick with Haunted Mansion because it really does set the mood. And that was one of the things we really pushed is it starts to immerse you before you're anywhere near that that ride vehicle. But I'm going to go with the uh, the Living Seas at Epcot, uh, which in its original incarnation had the hydrolator that I totally bought was real when I was a kid. I thought for sure we were somehow descending under the ocean in the middle of the state of Florida. And then you had this this pre-show video about uh, about water and how important it is to Earth. And that was the similarly terrifying, dark 80s educational Epcot video. I don't know why they were all so scary, but, it, you know, it, it rained and it rained and it rained. <laughs> and that whole movie stuck with me. And then you get on a, a nice little ride that takes you around the aquarium, which was pretty awesome. And then you're in. The aquarium and there's all these other things going on inside living uh, the living seas 
I absolutely loved that. And uh, I think I, I had been there a couple times and I was probably older than I should have been when I saw somebody leave through the like side exit, which is now just the regular exit. I'm like what? They just went outside. They didn't go up the hydrolators or anything. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I finally put that one together. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> Gotta love the innocence. So, so Eric, I'm not familiar. With, what is the hydrolator? Oh, oh, tag. See, I didn't. Hy- I'm like you and me are reversed. I didn't go to Disney World until 2016. So, right, right, yeah. And those had been had been cut out by then. The essentially, it was a little. It was a, an antechamber, and the floor would shake a little bit. So you'd you'd get in this circular room and with a whole bunch of other people. And the floor would shake and they'd play music and then they had these these walls on either side that that had plexiglass over them and water and bubbles would come up and the walls would move. They were on a track. So it looked like you were going down because they were moving up and then it would get darker as it went. So it was kind of like the subs, some similar technology where they were tricking you into thinking you were going underwater and – once you got down to the bottom, you those doors opened up and they said you've been pressurized and you're ready to go and hmm. Yeah. Welcome to Sea Base Alpha. Right. I have it backwards. You saw the movie first before the hydrolators. Um, right? Mm-hmm. I think oh, yeah. so, yeah. Yeah. So you saw the scary movie first, then you went down, and then you <laughs> emerged into the large room. Yeah. So you saw the scary movie, you got in the thing that was going into the darkness <laughs> to mm-hmm. be murdered, apparently. Mm-hmm. And then <laughs> you could see a lot of fish. It was great. <laughs> it is amazing that Disney has an aquarium at Epcot. Like, that's pretty cool. Yeah, one of the world's largest still to this day. And I suppose it's worth telling you, Tag, there was, I think this is baseless, but there was a, an old rumor that somebody had sued Disney for getting the bends on the hydrolator. Oh, God. But I think that's been debunked as something Marty Sklar just said as a joke. <laughs> Sounds yeah. like something Marty Sklar would say. All right, Brett, take us home here with the last one. How do I segue from that, though? Like, <laughs> I think that's a little bit hard. Oh, we don't worry about segueing. <laughs> well, I guess my pick isn't as ominous as entering into Seabase Alpha or Adventure Through Inner Space. I'm going to go for some laughs. So Muppet Vision 3D, and that's primarily because of the film. The film is in a very fun venue that is full of sight gags and the signature Muppets and Jim Henson humor. There's the all the Muppet parodies of films uh, via the posters. There's the visual gags in the actual pre-show room, like Annette Funagello. There's a, a Muppet version of Jim Henson uh, de- as depicted in the poster. But that 14, 15-minute film, as antiquated as it might be right it's been around for 32 years it still holds up it's still extremely hilarious and it never ceases to amaze me the muppets are timeless yes and people still laugh at all the jokes as they should there's some but what do they know they're tourists yes exactly (laughs) i have to tell you so along the lines of how much i love the script for the pre-show back when like the early days of like disneystore.com and shop disney where you could create your own t-shirts you could pick images so i made one of rizzo rizzo the rat and i uh, like white background for the shirt big picture of rizzo and i just wrote rat schmat Uh, right underneath it. And I walked around the park and I remember there was someone, actually, this was at California Adventure when it was still running there. And there was someone in the animation building was like, 
I get that. So I'm like, <laughs> appreciate that. It's it's just so funny. And it's a really nice use of, of all those different screens, right? It enables folks to be distributed around the space. Although, you know, they're encouraging you to get close together. But obviously, as Rizzo has to chime in, like we're doing a, an experiment on on. Uh, was it deodorant or odor? So there's there's some funny lines about just that and Sam Eagle encouraging you to go to the end of the row in the theater because it would be distinctly unpatriotic if you did not. It, it holds up. It's not the most innovative space in terms of technology or or something along the lines of Rise of the Resistance. It's not taking you to another space, but it does set the mood. And for the amount of times that you have to wait for at least five minutes before the next show, it, it it does produce laughter and it gets you in that mood. So I think it's very successful in that regard. And don't discount the air conditioning. <laughs> very that true. Too. But that, that show, I forget about that show a lot and I shouldn't, but it has one of my favorite lines that I use probably, a lot of people quote movies and stuff. And I think <laughs> that beyond The Emperor's New Groove, the movie that I probably quote the most is the Muppet Vision movie. Because I love that scene where Kermit knocks on Sam Eagle's door and says, how's the finale coming? It's a glorious three-hour finale celebrating all the nations of the world, but mostly America. Well, you got three minutes. Oh, (laughs) yeah. And I just I just love that it's like because it's such an American thing, right? Like celebrating all the nations of the world, but mostly America. And it just seems very fitting. And I just love that for some reason or not. Uh, and remember the three the three D's, right? I'm Dorothy. I'm Dinah. I'm Max. You know, Debbie was sick, and the union sent me. Absolutely. <laughs> we 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 use that all the time. Yeah, and I'm Max. <laughs> I feel I feel like with our on my Zoom screen, I have you guys all up at the top while we're recording, and mm-hmm. I've got Eric and me, and then the two of you. I'm like, we could do a whole back and forth thing with Muppets here if we got our act together. Good sight gags. Yeah. It would be a very moving event. I'd rather they move it to Pittsburgh. <laughs> Thank you. I was afraid nobody was going to say that. Paul, I'm not trying to steal any of your thunder here. I'm just playing off you. Yes. Well, that's what I was hoping for. So <laughs> I quote that all the time, too, for the record. All right. Well, en- enough of this funny business. Well, that is two questions down, which means we've reached our halfway point. If you enjoy listening to all of this shenanigans that we bring every couple of weeks to the show here, head on over to the hubcrawl.com slash support and become a supporter for as little as $5 a month. Uh, you can uh, get access to our Discord channel, which we're trying to start a new thing for those folks that are in there. We're going to actually ask the bonus question every week, and we will read your answers into our bonus section to kind of allow you guys to have uh, some say in the episode a little bit and kind of get some more opinions than just the four folks that we get together each week. So uh, again, if you want to support the show, head on over to thehubcrawl.com slash support, and we look forward to seeing you in our chat and hopefully hearing uh, some of your answers on the episode. All right. Well, let's get back to those questions. Teg, grace us with your next deep thought. So... I apologize. Everybody's had really great, fun, uplifting things, and I feel like I'm going to bring the mood down a little bit, and I apologize. The backstory of Tiana's Bayou Adventure has just been announced. It's very, in my opinion, convoluted. But how excited are you to go and find missing ingredients? Paul, what do you think? Honestly, when I heard this, I said, you know, there have been a lot of things that Disney has announced, and I've gone, ooh, how is that going to work out? And without fail, every single one of them has been 
fabulous. Hmm. I have never had an experience at Disney where I've at first gone, meh, that I went, yeah, see, I told you, it's awful. So I have no fear at all that when we get to go and board those logs again and take our trip through TBA, which I thought was really cute, uh, really cute how they did that, announcing it as to be announced at first, but it was really Tiana's. Actually, TBA. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, wow, that was subtle. But uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm excited for this. And as much as I hate to see Splash Mountain go away because it's been part of my Disneyland experience for many years, you know, things come and go. And, and I'm okay with it. And I have no doubt that the Imagineers are going to do us proud. They always do. How about you, Eric? What do you think? Well, I have uh, apparently not been paying very close attention <laughs> to Disney news the last few days because I had to look this up. I'm like, what? What do we? <laughs> and I, I didn't look into it too thoroughly. So um, I'm still kind of out of the loop here. Uh, I'll blame it on the pain meds or something. Uh. <laughs> well, here, Eric, I will, uh, while you talk for a second, I will pull up the post and I will read you exactly what it says. Okay, a little little bit of Disney for our audience here. Who maybe also did not hear about it. That's fair. We want to make sure everybody's included. I know they've been working on this for a while, and it's always surprising when they come out with something new that like, we, we've been thinking about this for... Even when they first dropped that they were going to make this overlay, it was something that they said they had been working on for years. So hopefully they, they have put a lot of thought into this. All right. Here All right. we go, Eric. Doug looks like he's ready. Okay. At a young age, Tiana developed a deep passion for cooking and began to dream of one day owning her own business. Her father, James, taught her that good food brings folks together. One of the most exciting parts of Tiana's bioadventure is that we're going to see where Tiana's life has taken her following the success of Tiana's Palace, a restaurant she dreamed of owning and worked so hard to uh, make come true. Walt Disney Imagineering is creating an original next chapter story for Tiana. Within the attraction queue, guests will discover that she continues to grow her business with Tiana's Foods, an employee-owned cooperative. Combining her talents with those of the local community, Tiana has transformed an aging salt mine and built a beloved brand. The endeavor began when Tiana purchased the salt mine and the area surrounding the large salt dome it operated from. With the help of her mother, Eudora, Naveen, Louis, and Louis, Louis, and fellow owners <laughs> of the cooperative, Tiana revived the old salt mine and the surrounding land, growing a wide variety of vegetables, herbs, and spices for her recipes. This multifaceted enterprise has turned the aging salt mine into a space that has come alive, complete with a boutique farm and both a working and teaching kitchen, Tiana's Foods, where Tiana and her colleagues create all sorts of new products that they uh, are bringing to the world, including a new line of original hot sauces. Tiana wants to give a big thanks to her family and friends and the entire community for all the support they've given her by throwing an amazing party during Mardi Gras season. When it turns out there's been a bit of a mix-up in the party preparations, Tiana invites us to meet her at Tiana's Foods to help find uh, help with the missing ingredient for the party. When we arrive, we may see Tiana spruced up at the company's facilities with vibrant art from local artists. Food for the party is being prepared and beignets are being loaded into crates for a celebration. All kinds of preparations are underway for the journey into the bayou with Tiana, along with the new and familiar friends from the animated film. Picking up where that story left off, Tiana continues bringing people together with Tiana's Foods, another treasured meeting place to spend time together and celebrate a diverse community. Tiana is also working with cooperative members Members to teach gardening and cooking to children of all ages and inspiring other women to run successful businesses as the brand grows nationwide. That's complex. Okay. 
I don't know. I'm in. Um, I saw something about Zydeco music. And I'm like, okay, cool. I- <laughs> Zydeco music, hot sauce, and yeah. 75 foot drops. What's what's a problem? <laughs> I don't know how that's going to fit together. I hope there's no hot sauce on the ride necessarily. I, it, I, I'm with Paul. I'm pretty sure it's going to be fine. We'll all love it. <laughs> Brett, what what are your thoughts? I think it's a it's a very nice backstory. I'll be curious to uh, to see how that actually plays out in the queue. Are they going to provide all this context prior to boarding uh, whatever? They call the vehicles. Um, I, I'm, I can't say I'm super intrigued by the premise, or at least based on how it's currently described. But I, I, I hear Paul and what you're saying in terms of sometimes you hear something at first and you're not totally sure, and then generally Disney pulls it off. I think I feel like there's often this formula with many of the attractions where it's like, and something goes wrong. So in here, the the extent, the significance of what goes wrong doesn't feel as significant uh, missing ingredients. So I'd li- I'll be curious to see how they actually incorporate that and thread that uh, once we're on the attraction. I suppose one thing that I am glad about is that it's not just a, a rehash of the actual film story, yeah. um, which I feel like is the the route that Frozen Ever After took because of the, I think, just the time limitations, right? They've had now a lot of time to plan this. So um, I'll, I'll be curious once it finally debuts and and ultimately how that storyline plays out leading up to boarding the vehicle. Because, again, pre-shows, we need, that's pretty important in setting everybody in the, the right frame of mind for what's what lies ahead. I'm passing it along. Peg, go over to you. Well, gosh darn all of you, but specifically, Paul, for just being <laughs> so dang optimistic about all of this because you reminded me of something. But let me get my grumpiness out first. My initial reaction is the more I hear about it, the less I'm excited for it. When I first heard about it, I was like, ah, oh, perfect. Princess and the Frog. It's going to be near New Orleans Square in Disneyland. Doesn't quite fit quite as well in Disney World. We'll see how that all figures itself out. But I was like, cool. Like, this is an underrepresented movie that people seem to really enjoy. It's got some rock and music to it. Like, awesome. But then I saw at D23 the model and the original concept art showed Mama Odie's boat, like, hanging out at the top. Like, it, it was spectacular. And I feel like what I saw D23 for a model was very pared down. It was kind of, let's take some from the existing Splash Mountain, as opposed to let's augment the existing Splash Mountain. So I feel like we're getting less, at least on the exterior. So I'm a little uh, sad about that, because to me, the iconic part of the mountain is the tree at the top, that point that the mountain comes to that gives it a silhouette. And looking at the concept art from the article I was just reading from, It's just kind of like a hill. And I don't know if they're going to be able to call it a mountain anymore uh, of the of the mountain ranges of Disneyland. And I kind of disagree a little bit with you, Brett, because you said that you didn't want it to be the story of the movie. I thought the story of the movie was great, had good music, had good characters. And it sounds like, you know, well, Dr. Facilier is not really around. So is that like he's maybe not going to be in the thing? Of course, we had the, the Firefly with Angeline and everything and like he's gone. And so I just feel like some of the endearing characters won't be there. And and I'm kind of sad about that, but gosh, darn it, Paul, <laughs> you reminded me that I was really skeptical and upset about guardians taking over tower of terror. And it turned out. Okay. 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 <laughs> well, no, I mean like everybody thought it was gonna be a dumpster fire, but it was, it's good. Like, 
people enjoy it. Personally, I still like the theming and stuff of the Tower of Terror because I I just like that better. You know, yeah, it's just it's the the placemaking for it's a little bit better, and it fit. What frustrated me with California Adventure was all of it was starting to cohere and come together finally as a park. And then they're like, let's take this Hollywood tower that works with the streetcar and everything. And now we're going to make it an add Avengers campus and throw off the whole groove over there. But anyway, I will be optimistic with all of you and hopefully it will be wonderful. And we'll all be like, what were we so worried about? But we always are. <laughs> Very. True. I don't know. I don't know. Under new management Tiki Room? Come on. Uh, well, yes. But I, I got to admit, though, actually setting the, the attraction on fire as a way of turning it back <laughs> into the original was brilliant. <laughs> oh, so, gosh. Yeah. Well, and, and, and you remember how upset everybody was about when they added the Disney characters to It's a Small World and everybody was up in, in, in arms and nobody over cares that. Anymore. Yeah. And it's, it's beautiful. So, same well, deal. you know what you got to get? You got to get the people who talk about what would Walt do? And it's like, Walt probably would have put like bulldozed half the attractions that you find near and dear. <laughs> Pirates may be gone if he was still running the place because he was all about getting rid of things and moving on to the next thing. So I always have to remind myself of that, that, you know, a lot of people, especially with Disneyland, clutch their Disneyland pearls when anything uh, is going to happen where Walt would have taken that long ago. But anyway, we don't know what he would have done, to be honest. But hopefully this will turn out well. It's a great movie and hopefully it's represented well through this new attraction. Well, that was another great round of discussion. Let's move on to our last question from Paul. So my podcast has always been about surrounding you with the magic of the sounds of Disney parks. And I have built an entire brand around actually taking you away from being able to see Disney and listening to that extra level that was included by the Imagineers that most people normally don't even notice. There are tons of sounds sound environments. So my question is, what is your favorite Disney theme park sound? Now, mine has always been just the sound of walking through the park and hearing the guests enjoying the park. You walk through and there's a little girl that goes, Pluto! Things like that, that kind of thing where you're, you're just walking around and you're hearing things as you're, as you're walking up Main Street and off in the distance, you hear woo from coming, coming from the Mark Twain, things like that. It's just all of those sounds that are put together for us to enjoy as you're walking by different places. You're hearing different sounds coming from different things. And so. That's that's what I want to know is is what you guys and, and, and it may this may be hard because most people don't think about the sounds. But let, let's go with Eric. What what is your favorite Disney theme park sound? All right. Well, first off, I got to listen to more episodes of your show because, <laughs> yeah, it, the what I have listened to, it's it's absolutely what you say. I I've got two here. I've got a fairly natural sound. I guess in some ways, although the more I think about it, the more layers you're saying there are other things going on. It's the lobby of the Wilderness Lodge at Walt Disney World. The sound of the water flowing through that, you know, flows from this this little geyser down to the pool mm -hmm. through inside the hotel. You've got giant, giant rocking chairs by a roaring fire 
and you have faintly off in the distance the you know frontier western music playing and at various times of the day you hear different different levels of that as people walk through um, I like being there in the morning when people are getting ready to to leave and head out to the parks I like being there in the middle of the day when it's a little bit quieter but there's still some people around and their voices echo so much in that giant space you know I try to make it a point whenever we stay there to sit in the lobby and read a book at like midnight because it's dead and it's it just all of that has a has a completely different tone and feel to it each time that you're there it's one of the most relaxing places and uh, i i love that that resort that's one of my favorites um at Walt Disney World but i could say that about a lot of resorts there but that one if you're looking for for the sound that you're asking for that's that's what does it for me and if it's a manufactured sound I'm going to pre-steal Brett's here, which is the Star Tours chimes. It it sticks in my head in such a clear way. I use it on on uh, the Supreme <laughs> Supreme Resort. Resort. It's part of our it's part of our our ad lounge uh, music where it, that's that's what kicks it off is the Star Tours chime, and then I play uh, you know some sounds of uh, the Main Street vehicles beeping horns and such. So, but really, Wilderness Lodge. If you haven't been there, you at least need to go. And have a meal there and hang out for a little bit. Just don't ask for ketchup. <laughs> we one one time we went to we went to breakfast there at um, at the lodge every day the entire week that we were staying there. And by the end, our, our servers would come by because they recognized us. And, and they're like, if you want ketchup, we'll just we'll just bring you some. It's okay. <laughs> You're nice people. We don't want to yell at you anymore. said <laughs> <laughs> uh, when I took my son to Walt Disney World for the very first time, it was his 10th birthday. And that morning, the morning of his birthday, we got up and ate at the Whispering Canyon Cafe. And they got him up in front of the whole group so that they could sing happy birthday to him. Oh, and yeah. That that little 10-year-old with his arms crossed and his hands down. <laughs> and he was just not happy. And that was the beginning of, of an 11 day wondrous trip to Walt Disney World. And it was all started in, in that, uh, in that lodge during a thunderstorm. So oh. you could, you could, yeah, the, oh, the big plate glass windows in the, in, in the restaurant were shaking back and forth and oh, things. Cow, I bet. Talk about a sound environment. <laughs> right. Well, that's great. Brett, um, <laughs> Sorry for stealing your sound here, but go no, for it. So, okay, I, I stole tags earlier, so I think I'm going to go with, well, I'm going to still go with the Star Tours chimes, even though that was said. You know, I, what I love about this question, Paul, is that it the power of sound, it, it can envelop you. It can take you to another time and place. Same with the power of scent or, or certain other forms of, you know, stimuli. So with sounds... What instantly came to mind to me was the Star Tours chimes because it is so brief, but you exactly know where you are because of it. And uh, kind of harking back to what we were discussing earlier with the fireworks show at, for Disneyland's 50th anniversary, they they used that to uh, precede the whole Star Wars, uh, Star Tours section, uh, which was just a nice uh, uh, homage to that. Uh, Richard Bellis is the composer here. Uh, and he didn't know that it was going to be such a sensation. Uh, I had the pleasure of interviewing him a few years ago and, uh, he talked about, oh yeah, I mean, just, in, I mean, just like, you know, a few little notes and boy, wow, did it become big. So I think there's a lot of memorable sounds throughout the parks, but for me, it's Tomorrowland or any space 
themed environment generally does it for me in terms of capturing that ethereal, otherworldly vibe. Star Tours is kind of in that zone. And I would also say, too, as an as kind of a second place, some of the sounds in, in the Space Mountain queue in Walt Disney World, there's obviously the beautiful Star Tunnel track, but then there's just, you hear like those like meteors and different sounds that pass by. I think those are really nice. But Star Tours, Star Tours chimes do it for me. Over to you, Tag. Well, can we all agree, because you guys are sound people, can we agree that the music for Star Wars perfectly pairs with any fireworks? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. One of the best fireworks show I saw was at Hollywood Studios. They did a Star Wars thing when I was there in 2016. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was amazing. Like just the all of the Star Wars music just plays so well. It's so, you know, booming and stuff and it, it can stand up to the fireworks. But I'm going to go I have one written here which I am going to choose, but I I you reminded me cuz you were talking about things that you immediately recognize and every Disney World person recognizes this. Please stand clear of the doors. <laughs> Por favor, manténganse alejado de las puertas. And I loved that. I love the monorail, but I love that. But my original answer here was, and this is a dumb story to show how stupid I am sometimes. So I love the Tiki Room. I love when they have like the big like bongo drums and stuff towards the end. And like every it's right before the end where the gods have been angered by all the celebrating. And there's just something about the whole everybody. Everybody's partying in there. And for the longest time, I was trying to figure out you, you sound people are going to tease me. I was trying to figure out what instrument is it that I'm hearing when it's ooh and the 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 fountain is is going up towards the ceiling and I swore it was some type of instrument and then I realized after years of thinking this that it is the human voice. Oh yeah. Uh, and I was like, "Oh, I am very silly." <laughs> but I love it. It's like one of my favorite things cuz it it I, I in music in general, especially Disney music, I love when there's like a build to something. And I feel that that ooh, like is building to the thunderclaps and everything. And so I love that. That is, uh, a, that's, it's a wonderful crescendo and mm-hmm. it screams Walt Disney. Yeah. It screams classic Disneyland when, when that is coming up and, and tying back into what you said earlier with the, uh, with the announcement, I'll actually push you even one further than that and say that I was originally going to say the woo, woo, before <laughs> that announcement goes off mm-hmm. is what I was going to say was my favorite sound from Walt Disney World. I actually have that when my son text messages me. It goes. Woo, woo. Nice. So, well, yes. there's also this is tough. I feel like we could talk about this all day because there's there's sounds that I immediately recognize they don't do it anymore because they scan your magic band or whatever at Disneyland. But they used to have when they would scan your park ticket, it did that little woohoo drilling noise. Mm-hmm. Oh, and, yeah. and I was like, oh, I love that sound because it was such a like chipper put you in the mood. Like it's like even the machine's happier here, you know, like <laughs> thanks for chiming in with us today, you know? So, oh man, I feel like we need to have you guys back and have an entire episode about sound and all the questions should deal with sound. Cause I, I think we would learn so much and cover so much stuff. And now I got to listen to both of your podcasts about, all, oh man, I've got, I got too much, too much. <laughs> Don't worry. We've only got over 700 episodes. So oh, 
<laughs> don't you'll catch up in no time yeah i actually um just downloaded the i as as we were sitting here talking i went in before i forgot and i added both of your podcasts to my catcher and i downloaded the most recent episodes of both and yes you are at episode 729 yep so for every seven episodes of paul's that you listen to listen to one of mine and then it'll be equal <laughs> oh and keep gosh. in mind that at the same time Keep in mind that each window to the magic episode averages between one and one and a half hours. So you're only looking at about a thousand to eleven hundred hours worth of listening. So and what does that convert to, Brett, for your podcast? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh not as many hours comparatively, but uh <laughs> average episode about an hour, hour and a half for me. Oh yeah, see, so about the same. So you're right. Yeah, I just gotta like good. spread some in there. <laughs> Okay, um, that does it for this episode of The Hub Crawl. We'd like to thank our guests. Paul, how can people find you? Everybody can find me by going to their favorite podcast aggregator software and just searching Disneyland Podcast or WTTM for Window to the Magic. And Brett, where can people find you if they want to hear more about your stuff? Yeah, so I am the host of the Notably Disney podcast. We focus on Disney music and books, including interviews with authors, composers, songwriters, musicians, fellow Disney podcasters, a lot of great conversation. Uh, so I love it. You can find us on anywhere you download podcasts as well. So notably Disney. Well, thanks, everybody. Join us next time when we continue to talk all things Disney. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody.